Hi, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan, and I'm so honored and delighted to have with me today Essie Cup um, on the Influence Continuum. She's so famous. I can read you her bio from CNN. You're a political commentator. You call yourself a practical conservative. You're honest. You uh, write. You're, you have uh, so many uh, contributions. Essie Cup Unfiltered. Uh, and um, with with that, I'm, we're going to include the longer bio when we do the blog with you, Essie. Um, and we last chatted, you were subbing for Pete Dominic's uh, podcast. So now I get to have you on mine. Yay! So, <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, can we start with the horrible shooting, mass violence yet again at another school? And I saw your messaging on Twitter about, you know, being a gun owner and that it's up to us to raise our voices for for practical legislation and a, and a solution. I'm a gun owner too, disclosure. Uh, I bought two handguns after 9-11 actually, goes back to then. And uh, fortunately haven't taken it out. The last time I took it out, SC, was after the marathon bombing. And the police told us, don't leave your house because one of the suspects is the next town over. And I mm -hmm. literally had my my revolver on my ankle. I didn't even tell my family that I was thinking about. I just said, we're not leaving the house. And then they found him. And uh, so anyway, please tell us what your thinking is. What message would you like to, to, uh, to give? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's horrific. And unfortunately, it's not, you know, even close to the first one of these I've had to cover. And I've had to cover these in real time. I've had to break news while these were happening. And it's always awful. And for a long time as a, as a law-abiding gun owner, and I used to be a member of the NRA, and I used to, used to call myself a Republican, for a long time, I would, I would grieve, of course. And then I would, we'd, we'd jump into the political debate what to do. And I would, I would uh, you know, dig in my heels in support of the Second Amendment, yeah. And I would say all the things like, well, no new laws would have prevented this shooting from happening or uh, criminals don't follow gun gun laws or only two percent of all gun crimes are committed by assault weapons. I'd say all those things, right. which were true, but they didn't advance a conversation. They were conversation enders. And over on the left, you know, my, my friends on the left would say, we need to ban all the guns. That's not, pra that's not practical. That's not happening. They'd call people like me murderers. I've got blood on my hands as a law-abiding gun owner. Right. Well, those are also conversation enders. Right. And so after too many of these, I just got sick of participating in this ritual of, of, of non-action, of, of doing nothing, right. saying the same stuff over and again. So I decided I gotta. I have to do this differently. Um, I quit the NRA many years ago um, because they just don't seem to represent a majority of law-abiding gun owners. Right. Um, they represent represent absolutists um, and political interests. And so I I decided I just want to talk about this issue as a mom, not as a gun owner, not as a Republican, not as an NRA member, just as a mom and. 
I'll go first. I'll I'll stop doing the thing I was doing first. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'd love to meet with people who want to talk in different ways um, about this. And Steve, the thing is, what I've been telling people, this problem is not going to be solved by Democrats, by special interests on the gun control side, by lobbyists. Right. It will not be solved without me and you, law-abiding gun owners who have had enough, who've decided we want to be part of the solution. And we we are many in number. Right. And we are vital to getting something passed. You cannot do this alone just as Democrats or as, as a special interest, like I said. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, I'm here. I'm a gun owner. I've had enough of this. I'm willing to talk about things I was never willing to consider before and join me, mm-hmm. join me in this. Mm-hmm. Good for you. So can I, uh, so I bought a two handguns for my personal safety. Uh, they're locked, triple locked, <laughs> quadruple mm-hmm. locked with, yeah. with ca- video cameras and everything else to alert me if anyone gets into my office, et cetera. But I have to say, I don't think any American should own, that's a private citizen should own AR-15s or military assault rifles. I mean, I have friends from Texas who shoot deer, but it's a sport and, you know, it's not a military assault rifle with capacity to, you know, kill large numbers of people. So like 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, I would have said, uh, listen, we tried an assault weapons ban. We had one for 10 years, during which Columbine happened. Yeah. And a number of other mass shootings, including school shootings. That's what I would have said. Mm-hmm. I'd be right. However, um, it does not seem as though this mixture of um, sickness in terms of the growing hate and extremism in this country and then rise in mental health problems in this country and absolute access to military-grade weapons, it does not seem as as though these two things uh, can coexist safely that we can all be safe in a country where those two things are happening. So um, I, like a number of other Republicans um, I know, and and I'm a conservative, I no longer call myself Republican, but, um, you know, Congressman Adam Kinzinger from Illinois is a friend of mine, he's a gun owner. Um, he has suggested a raft of new legislation, stuff you'd never hear, you know, hear a Republican saying before, including raising the age minimum to buy an assault weapon, including magazine limits, including um, strengthening red flag laws, banning bump stocks, universal background checks. I support all that. I'm also willing to listen to conversations about assault weapons. Um, Because while I wish the conditions were better for people to be responsible gun owners, um and defend themselves the way they want and um, responsibly practice um, shooting sports and hunting. I do those things. Mm -hmm. I wish. 
but it's not met by a reality. And the Constitution has to be a living, breathing document. It has to reflect right. the changes right. that founding fathers could never have imagined. I, I think a lot about Malthus. Malthus was an economist and a philosopher, and he predicted almost apocalyptically that the world would run out of food and a population boom would be the basically the end of the end of civilization. Well, what he couldn't imagine was the industrial revolution right. and the democratizing of food distribution. So a lot of people made a lot of big decisions based on his sort of doomsday. Yeah, good point. Uh, prediction. Yeah. Just because they couldn't see the changes. Well, the changes were great. Yeah. Obviously. Um. And so I think a lot about that, that the founding fathers couldn't predict the good changes, the bad changes, the problems that we would eventually solve, and the new problems that right. would be created. And so I, I don't think we should be absolutist about any right. right. And I think that we need to have different conversations. Ultimately, what, what we end up with, I don't know. But the, the the world has changed. Yeah, I totally um, since the founding fathers were trying to protect muskets. You know, I totally agree with you. But the one thing that you left out of your formulation, the, for me, mm -hmm. that's so central, is the internet and social media. Of course, that's influencing absolutely. and radicalizing young people, older people too, for sure. But the internet, when we don't have data privacy protection. There's no legislation. And part of, I mean, I literally just uh, got a copy of a book that I uh, did a chapter for uh, from Oxford University Press called Lone Actor Terrorism on Online Radicalization. And I yeah. literally studied ISIS recruitment online as well as white supremacy recruitment online. And this is a big piece of this uh, formula. Yeah, to me, it's not a, that's not a third piece. That is completely inside the, the rise of hate, extremism, yes. and our mental health. Yes. That is absolutely a crucial part of it. Maybe the most important part of, of that. Um, yep. Because I think without, without, um, without social media, um, you know, social media has allowed a lot of these things to take hold and spread. Yeah. Um, in really deleterious ways. And that's, I mean, that's on the worst end. There's also just what it's doing to our kids' mental health and just having this like performative, performative um, experience where you are expected to perform for your Instagram followers or your YouTube followers or even just your friends online. Everything is a performance. And I just think that's so corrosive. Yeah, and friends are people that you don't even know for the most part. Right. You know, I have 67,000 followers on Twitter. I, I know maybe a hundred yeah, <laughs> personally, right. directly. Yeah. But I want to add one more piece just because mm -hmm. we're talking and I so much respect you. And that is, I listened to a man named Sol Steve Silberman who wrote a book called Neurotribes about how uh, Bill Gates, Stephen Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg are on the spectrum, Elon Musk, and that they, through their um, anxiety and discomfort in relating to people in real life, 
created a world, a virtual world, where screens are less threatening, mm. and they're rewiring the brains of neurotypicals. That's what people who aren't on the spectrum mm -hmm. are called, mm -hmm. neurotypicals. But what mm -hmm. we're missing is so much of the human experience. And that's why I like Tristan Harris and the Center for Humane Technology. They're like, technology yeah. should serve humans, not the other way around. We should not be serving algorithms or some few greedy people who just want to steal our attention and sell it make money off of it. Yeah. And what I like about what Tristan says is there was this idea of a benevolence to social media and this idea, of, you know, Facebook and connecting people. And yep. I don't doubt that's true. Yep. Um, but again, solved some problems, created a lot of new ones. Right. And we're irresponsible. I And I love how Tristan focuses on the sort of the responsibility of the people who created these problems to fix them. We have a responsibility now to be good stewards of this new technology um, that, you know, my kid will never grow up without, right? He won't know any different. Yeah, nor um, mine. Mine's 19 now, but uh, he grew up on Well, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember not having email. I remember not having... Yep social media. Um, he won't. So, I mean, he, he's said well, he's not kept, on anything now. We kept him but... from having a cell phone till middle school. So like we were struggling, but yeah. we, but then since it's hard. then it's, I mean, it's addictive. Listen, he, you know, he's not on anything now, but he, you know, at the right age, um, it will be unavoidable. Right. And so we've got to address this new, this new problem that is all of our problems. Um, and is, you know, touches so many trouble spots yep. in, in this country. Yeah. And if I may, uh, Essie, uh, add another dimension to this in terms of my research for the Cult of Trump book, um, it's my, and we know that Maria Butina was a Russian agent who infiltrated the NRA. And mm -hmm. it's my belief, and I think some law enforcement folks back me up on it, that Putin wants Americans to kill Americans. Like for for him, he can sell his totalitarian world better by showing footage of Americans shooting little kids and use that for his people to say, we protect you. Of course, they have gun control, strict gun control in Russia. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to own a gun in Russia. Yeah. Uh, seriously, that's what I'm told. Uh, yeah. Period, but yet yeah. they're they're spending lots of money influencing our politicians and the NRA to say no, we need more guns, and every time there's an incident, people should go out and buy more. So there's something like twenty million AR-15s in the United States. Twenty million, like why do at least there's over four hundred million. Um, guns. So, but wait, what's the end of this with this gun culture? It's so uh, predictably going to be destructive. This is not just going for target practice and having fun. It's not. It's not. And it's at some point, you know, we've long passed this point. It's a little hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, uh, you know. But I think one of the first steps, like I said, is talking differently about it. And if enough of us want to do that, then the NRA loses some of its power and the special interests lose some of their power. But there's no question 
dictatorships like Putin, Putin's, um, are rooting for a weakened America. Yeah. And that means weakened politically. And I, I, I haven't seen a weaker Republican party, um, certainly in my lifetime. That doesn't mean they're not influential. They are, but weakened in terms of, um, you know, governing and ideas and ability to do stuff. And, um, it's, it's, I think, completely collapsed as a party. It, it right. doesn't um, really operate to me so much like a political party anymore as it does, as you and I have discussed, um, as a cult and sort of a collection bin, a clearinghouse mm-hmm. for like unwanted, rejected ideas that I thought we'd all agreed were bad, like book bans, yeah. um, you know, anti-LGBTQ laws, um, you know, all kinds of stuff that suddenly Republicans were advancing just just for just for the cruelty, just to just to be punishers, just to divide the country and keep turning Americans against Americans. Um, so that's exactly what Russia wants. Russia wants a week in America where where Americans are are our enemy. Yeah, China not, wants it too. Iran wants it. North Korea wants it. Every Venezuela, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and we're giving it to them. Yes. So we used to be able to unite around a common enemy, which was Russia, and now we're not even doing that. Much to their satisfaction, you know, you've got a Republican Party that in some cases, and a right-wing media that in many cases, is defending Putin right. and blaming Ukraine and use, using Russian propaganda yeah. to defend and justify this illegal invasion. It's wild. I'm a child of the 80s. Right. I grew up with Reagan right. and the Cold War, and it's wild to see this party uh, bending over backwards to do Putin's dirty work. Right. And so what I look at, because I study social psychology so intently, is the leadership are to blame, politicians, media pundits that people are relying on for direction. And a lot of what they do is demonize the other in order to justify their behavior or inaction. And... um, but I do believe there's a lot of people who are still kind of publicly aligned with the Republican Party, air quotes. But internally, I think they're having a lot of dissonance over it because they are mm-hmm. parents or because they mm-hmm. are gun owners and they understand that this is horrible what's happening. And But I think people like yourself... Your voice, in my opinion, and that's one reason I'm so grateful you're doing this podcast with me, is to amplify your messaging, because anyone who's listening to you uh, will not, I don't believe, immediately label you as they may of me, you know, as a libtard or you know, in the <laughs> cult of Soros yeah. or something like that. At least mm-hmm. that's my hope. But we need more people that are leaders, thought leaders, and influencers like yourself to be much louder in in the in the in the public sphere and messaging in a more targeted way to folks. Well, I found this. Um, gosh, it was so liberating when I decided to just, you know, 
call balls and strikes because I didn't feel like I was on a team. I used to be on a team. The team was the Republican Party. I felt good about my team. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as a journalist, because I was an opinion journalist, I was able to root for my team and tell you exactly where I was coming from. Right. But when the Republican Party left me, mm. um, you know, in 2015, it was so liberating because I could still talk, uh, you know, I could still advance conservatism. That's a fixed set of values. That doesn't change. Um, no matter what Donald Trump says about it. Um, but I didn't have to cheerlead for this party that I, I just didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And so then I got to say things about guns right. or about immigration yeah. or about abortion mm-hmm. that I found was like a very representative, moderate majority opinion. Right. Right. Um, my position on abortion, I'm pro-life. I don't think Roe should be overturned. I think abortion should be legal, safe, and rare with some restrictions. Guess what? That's the majority opinion in this country. And I believe that majority too. Opinion. It should be rare, but it should be there. Well, right. And the Democrats have gone extreme on this too. They've dropped the rare from the party platform. They do these weird social media campaigns to celebrate abortion and really dehumanize what it is. And I don't think that's effective, but the majority of people in this country, majority of voters, do not believe that abortion should be banned right. and do not believe that abortion should have zero restrictions. Right. So on that, well, I'm, okay, I'm in the majority. On guns, the majority of people in this country believe in universal background checks. They believe in strengthening some gun laws. They believe, you know, um, 100 rounds is, is probably too many for an 18-year-old to have. Um, well, guess what? That's, that's, a, that's, that's right in the middle. That's most of us. Right. Um, pick your pick your issue, and we're not on the extremes. And this is why, if you look at recent polling uh, by Gallup and Pew, a majority of Americans do not feel represented by this current two party system. Right. Well, because they're not. I mean, right. the, the loudest voices of the two wings of the party are talking as absolutists and purists instead of as moderates, where most of us are, you know, along a spectrum. So I feel like an orphan, Mm. um, you know, politically, but I also feel invisible Mm. because people are talking about abortion bans or abortions with no restrictions, not what the the rest of us want. I mean, even in Texas, the abortion laws in Texas, which effectively ban abortion, um, are unpopular in Texas. So like, who are these solutions solving problems for? No one's asking for these extreme solutions. And that's all we seem to be getting. Um, yeah. So it's disillusioning and very, um, it's disorienting. Yes. But I have found in being able to speak up more, um, less politically yep. about all these issues, I am not as lonely as I, as I, as I feel sometimes. Yep. And, uh, I feel the same way to be honest. Uh, I, you know, I, I was really never into politics. I, I just distrusted the whole system to be honest yeah. and I'm turning 68, you know, I'm a homeowner, uh, mm-hmm. you know, married with a kid and, um, I just worry I, I I'm going to be okay as an individual, my family will be probably okay. Uh, but the vast majority of people in our country and the world, I'm really worried about. Because if America fails, the rest of the mm-hmm. world is going 
to be unduly influenced by totalitarian and cult leaders? Well, I think the question, there's two things here. Americans should want two strong parties. Mm. Americans should want Republicans to be better, not to go away, not to be expelled. Americans should want a Republican Party that is doing what political parties do, advancing ideas, governing, solving problems, passing laws. Mm. Um, And it's not. So you've got You've got people who want to just get rid of, get rid of people. And believe me on the right, they would, they would annex, you know, California in a heartbeat um, Hmm. instead of wanting everyone to do better. That's problem number one. Right. And then problem number two, I ask if you had a magic wand and you could get all of your detractors, the opposition, the people you disagree with, if you could wave a wand would you make them change their minds and change their change their perspectives or would you make them pay? Would you punish them? And I think um, a startling number of people would make them pun- you know pay, mm-hmm. would punish them. Mm-hmm. And if if that's where you're at, you're going to continue to be part of the problem and things are going to get worse. If you're on the I would love to be able to change some minds. Yeah. I'd love to be able and that doesn't mean brainwashing them. We're going to the disagree opposite. on stuff, we but want I'd pe- love... We want people to tune into their conscience and the golden rule. Right. Don't do to others what you don't want done to you or your loved ones. To put yourself in someone else's shoes, and I, I want to change minds. Yes. And I'm open to mind being changed, too. Um, if you're on that side, I think then you're, you're trying to be part of, the, part of the solution. And if we have more of those people than the other, then we're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, I just don't know right now. doesn't feel like we do. Yeah, so I just want to highlight what you just said is my position in life. And this is, I've been helping people get out of all kinds of authoritarian groups for 46 years. Yeah. But I always take the position of, hey, if, if you believe your leader is the Messiah or Jesus and he's going to bring peace on earth, please convince me. Mm-hmm. I'm open. Tell Mm -hmm. me your journey. Tell me what convinced you, and let's discuss it. But the key is looking for evidence, not not just uh, uh, surrendering your your critical thinking and your heart Mm -hmm. and your entire life experience. And I want to do a shout-out for Adam Grant's book, Think Again, which is brilliant. I think everyone should read it. It has nothing to do about cults, but it basically says, you know what? We're human. We don't know everything. It's mm-hmm. let's separate our egos from our beliefs and let's just pursue what what fits our values. And values mm-hmm. is another, you know, major thing that we've been assuming, you and I, that people will still have these values as an American. We want liberty, want want freedom, we want justice, we want a diversity. Part of the strength, I think, of America is the diversity that we were allowing people to come in from all types of cultures, and we were enriched by this instead of what this this siloing of of people. But I want to ask you, this is a personal slash professional question. Um, I know you know the Lincoln Project. Uh, I've been interviewed by them a couple of times. I recently heard, I think it was either 
Reed Galen or Rick Wilson say that he thinks going into the midterms and in 2024 that we that stay away from guns as an issue. Like it's-, it's who, who should? Everybody, like the Democrats and the whole political discourse. I literally heard, you know, either one of the two of them or whoever was saying it, the other one agreed. And that doesn't make sense to me. What makes sense to me is what you said before, that the extremists in both sides, both parties are the ones that shouldn't have all the outsized power and weight. Yeah. But we should really be thinking about the greater good for all. I mean, I don't know if they were talking like strategically, like yeah, strategically that, that as an issue. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't really care. I'm sick of caring about strategically and how to get their, you know, our guys elected or, or out, whatever. I, I mean, of course we have to talk about it. Of course we have to talk yeah. about it. Um, and I think there are good ways to talk about anything and bad ways to talk about anything. And I don't think anything should be off the table. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're, if you empower people with nothing to get to gain, right? I'm not an NRA member. I'm not a lobbyist. Right. I don't represent special interests. I'm just a gun owner. And frankly, as a gun owner, I mean, this issue is making all of us look terrible. Yes. So like selfishly, I want, I want <laughs> to, to, to cleanse of that, but also just, this is not what I, what I want as a gun owner. This right. is not, I don't want more of this. So um, I think if we can talk Le less po politically yes. about this issue. And just as like a majority of people who want common sense and, and, and to talk about solutions, um, I don't think, I don't see how that could be a bad strategy. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of feel like they, they just like said the gun lobby's too strong, so we shouldn't even bring it up as a. That's why it's so strong. Cause we don't bring it up. We don't challenge it. Uh, you and I mean, you and I are aligned on this one. I'm a whistleblower. Yeah. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what role I've chosen for myself having mm -hmm. left a fascist to totalitarian cult myself yeah. and horrified that I believe these horrible things. Um, but but so, <sighs> what I worry about SE is that people are so tired and overwhelmed and frustrated that they're tuning out or giving up hope. And what I want to continue to do is be a cheerleader and 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 say there is hope because. The alternative is too horrendous. Like we have, yeah. we have to do everything in our power, within our influence, within our means, um, to turn things around. I have a very strong bias. I believe we should do mass education about psychology to everybody. Mm -hmm. What's mm -hmm. healthy psychology? What's unhealthy psychology? What's ethical influence and healthy influence, and what's unhealthy influence? And, 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 yeah. and, and create a new frame, not us versus them, because anyone who's into that binary thinking is missing complexity and diversity of reality. And yeah. so, you know, for me, I want to see inoculation programs, not just media literacy about disinformation, but like, how does the mind work? And I'll just take a couple more minutes and say, in all my cases... I show three videos as a foundation for, for explaining this. One is the Ash Conformity Study. Have you ever heard of it? 
I think you've talked. You and I have talked about. Oh, okay, it, yeah. so it's basically people think they're doing a visual perception experiment. They're in a room with a group of people. Person at the front has a placard with a a line. Uh, let's say two inch line, and then there are three sample lines. Let's say two inch, three inch, and four inch. And people in the room take turns saying which is the correct match. Only the setup is everybody's in on the experiment except one person. And what the experiment shows is that two thirds of everybody doing this experiment start giving the wrong answer just because it's too uncomfortable to resist the group pressure. So that conformity tendency is a human mm. trait. But once yeah. we understand that, once we understand the people who caved and said the wrong answer felt terrible about themselves, mm. the people who were heroic resistors, air quotes, felt great <laughs> after the fact yeah. that they yeah. stood up. And But nobody got up to measure the stupid lines, which is what <laughs> I tell my clients. Right. Always, uh, if people give you two choices, always think, what's the third choice? But anyway, right. quickly, the other two experiments that I teach is the Milgram Obedience Study, which is the shock machine, phony shock machine that Stanley Milgram concocted where somebody was flicking a switch and believing they were giving an, a voltage, 15 uh, volt increases to the point where the tape recording, they thought it was a live person. There was a tape recording, go, oh, my heart, you know, please stop, I'm in pain. And the person doing it would go turn to the person with the coat on who's doing the authority figure. It sounds like pain. I don't want to do this anymore. You committed. You must. Oh, God, this is yeah. science. You must. And two-thirds electrocute, hypothetically, mm. another human being because some authority figure orders them. So I show yeah. them the group pressure thing, the authority figure thing. And then I show them the Zimbardo prison study where healthy young men are, are randomly assigned to guards and, 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 and prisoners, and they start flipping out and having nervous breakdowns or getting sadistic. And the two-week experiment had to be called off after six, six days, showing you know my BITE model, B-I-T-E, behavior, information, thought, and emotional control, really is a authoritarian situation that's going to cause harm to human mm. beings. Like, I think everyone should know about these three things. People should, yeah. should realize, you know what? We, we want to have quality of life. We don't want to walk around afraid someone's going to spit at us or shoot us or shoot at our kids. It's just not okay. And so, the, the, again, the question is, we have a system where so much money is being poured into political candidates that in corruptive way, uh, our justice system has been corrupted, in my opinion, by uh, people with ideology and not honoring the, the will of the public, the, the general public. And so for me, um, this is a, another point of great worry and concern. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, such an interesting idea. We we don't really know much, just as lay people, you know, about psychology and how the mind works and why we do what we do or how susceptible we are. I was um, talking to my therapist about, uh, you know, my mental health and some struggles and, and social media and something she said that was really, really important and really changed changed my life. Yep. 
was, um, you know, we don't pay enough attention to our intentionality when we go on to social media. So we go on very passively, mm. you know, I'll pick up my phone, open Twitter and scroll through because I'm waiting in line at the grocery store, right? Or mm -hmm. there's a commercial break. Yeah. Or I go on um, for bad reasons. Like um, I want to um, feel uh, like I have fans, right? People are saying good things about me. I want affirmations. Um, That's a bad reason I'm, to want affirmation? Yeah, I shouldn't care. That's not where I should f feel like my value and my worth is. Um, I can get that from my family and friends well, and people the, I know IRL. That's the key, people going to people and, who know you and getting right. validation from truly real people. Right. I shouldn't need validation. It shouldn't make me feel good that people I've never met are talking about me on Twitter. But, um, and I, you know, when she said this, like, because uh, social media was was triggering for me, and making me very, very anxious. And I, because I do what I do, I can't not be on it. So we've discussed ways to be on it, but with intentionality. And I thought, you know, this is so funny because while I go to the grocery store, I've got a list. Yep. And I'm there for certain things. I don't just go in and hope that things jump into my cart. And the algorithms on social media are so strong. Yep. That if you're not thinking about what you're there for, you're going to get what it wants to give you and more and more of it. Yep. And so when I was going on and I, you know, would doom scroll or look for awful stories mm -hmm. that I would then take, take home and catastrophize about and, you know, watch my mental health deteriorate, it's because I wasn't, I wasn't in control yeah. um, of why I was there. And so my, my point in saying this is I think learning more about why we do things would impact so many areas of our lives. Right. Um, and just give us some tools that we're not taught. We're not taught how to use social media. Right. We're not, we're not taught how to deal with our mental health. Right. That's just not something that we have to learn how to, how to do, but we should. And we only learn it at a crisis point and sometimes when it's too late um, right. uh, or not at all. And so as just as part of a mental health, you know, umbrella, sure. the a psycho a, a psychology perspective and component, I think, would be really, really important. Yeah. So first of all, I'm a therapist, but I freely admit, as you just did, that I've been in therapy. I, at the moment, I'm taking a break. Uh, and I do think it's good to switch up therapists from time to time as yeah. well. Some people see one person for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And then I asked them, do you remember what you first went to them for? Oh, I had anxiety. And how are mm -hmm. you doing now? Oh, I have, I'm anxious all the time. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I'm one of those therapists that says the point of therapy is to get out of therapy. Uh, of course. And right. control your own mind. And that includes controlling your thoughts and your feelings based on that core, as you said, intentionality. Yeah. And I want to add another piece that I found is so important uh, is being in your body in the here and now, mm -hmm. because smart people, intelligent people, creative people like yourself, and I, I will include myself in this description, we can let our imaginations worry about the future and yeah. 30,000 negative possibilities, yeah. and it floods our and takes over our present. Totally. So 
creating a, a an awareness of wait a minute, take some breaths and breathing. It turns out is the nexus between our unconscious and our conscious. It's something we do unconsciously, but we can willfully take a long, mm. slow, deep breath with a long exhale, and it will calm us down. Like you can't well, have a yeah. panic attack if you're doing long, slow exhales. It's not physiologically impossible. I yeah, and I've I've just learned so many great tricks and tips and tools mm -hmm. in undergoing therapy and dealing with my anxiety finally. Um, and I think it, it, it benefits. I don't know anyone who wouldn't benefit right from talk therapy, um, even just learning a little bit more about anxiety. And I mean, I was doing awful things. I was, I was catastrophizing, I was transferring. So a problem that was happening, um, in Syria was literally in my mind, I would mentally make myself imagine that was happening to me. Oh, you're a super empathizer then. If that's I'm a, I'm a crazy empath and yeah, as an exercise, so it was a bargain. I was making the bargain that if I actually made myself emotionally experience it, it wouldn't happen to me. Mm. But the toll it took on me to go through that trauma for everything, and I was doing it, I would do it within seconds mm. all day long. Yeah. And so I'm driving and an ambulance goes by. Well, it's going to my house and something's happening to me. And it was constant. And so that was obviously very debilitating. But a lot of the tips and tricks, even just as simple, I was talking to a guy who said, when he heard me describe that, he's like, you know, don't go and borrow trouble. You need to borrow trouble. We've all got our own troubles. Why are you imagining other troubles? And, you know, thinking about the stuff that is not your your trouble. And just even that simple thing. Yeah. Um, but also all the things, the tools my therapists um, work with me on. I've learned so much about myself and not how to be numb, but how to live right. much, much more comfortably, right. reduce these anxious episodes, reduce my bad habits and bad behaviors. And it's, it's changed my life. I didn't know how bad I was. Yeah. I, I want to interrupt you and just, you know, I don't have my therapist hat on kind of a mm -hmm. little bit. But instead of saying, labeling it as bad, just say mm -hmm. ineffective or dysfunctional because you're a good person and your caring yeah, and is a good thing. Yeah. No, no, no. And I, I, I've always said that I've never been ashamed of my empathy. And in fact, my empathy has been productive mm -hmm. in my job. But it was bad for me. Um, you know, it wasn't treating myself kindly to... Um, do what I was doing constantly and never kind of turning the switch or just even knowing that I was doing yeah, it. Yeah, knowing it is the key. And having or why I was doing having it, yeah. other choices for how to feel. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to share a technique I learned back in 85 or 86 when I first got uh, my master's in counseling. Because I work with a lot of trauma victims, like people mm -hmm. who've been born into cults and horrible, yeah. horrible stuff. And I'm a super empathizer, and it was mm -hmm. burning me out. And yeah. I, I was like, I have to change careers. I can't do this anymore because uh -huh. I'm leaving the sessions and I'm a, a vegetable. Uh -huh. And I basically was, was, and it wasn't my idea. Someone suggested it. 
to create a window like a foot in front of my body where as I was listening to the client, I would join them in this space, but it wasn't in my body. And so the the, the therapist of me was there to listen and be empathic. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. after the session, I could come back to me and it was it had its compartment. So it wasn't yeah. bleeding in to mm-hmm. my beingness. And it's it's different different techniques work for different people. For yeah, me, no, I like that. For mm-hmm. me, this helped me a lot because I, I I value empathy. It's how I do my work is to step into yeah. people's shoes and feel what they feel and see the world as yeah. they see it. So this was a technique where it wasn't I wasn't personalizing and losing, in a sense, the anchor of my identity and my beingness. I, no, I really like that. And yeah, it's important to me too. I didn't want to just turn it off. And right. my therapist was instrumental in in making me see so you're not turning it off. Right. Um, you know, you're just not um misusing it. You're not abusing yourself um through this. And it's funny, you when you talk about maybe needing to do something else, she and I have talked about, she said, because I've said, you know, I, I don't know that I can do this anymore. Not not because um, of, of anxiety, but because like, I don't recognize the political landscape, you know, this is not my politics. And I don't even know if I have an appropriate voice in this anymore, whatever. And, and the anxiety. And she said, listen, athletes have to retire mm-hmm. eventually because they can't keep doing what, what they once did. And maybe you will have to, like, maybe you're emotionally or psychologically too old for this. And maybe you need to shift in a way and do other things that uses all the tools and skills that you've acquired, the things that make you happy, but just toward another, you know, end. Um, And I thought that's such an interesting way to think about it, needing to not, not like washing out of it or being unable to do it. I can't hang with it. I can't take it. It's not that. It's maybe I've done it enough. I've done it too much, and maybe I I could, I'd be better served. You know, my skills would be better served somewhere else. And frankly, maybe I'm too good for this. You know, cesspool right now. <laughs> so I'm gonna respond. This is really interesting, and thank you for your candor and, and honesty. First, I want to just quote a religious theme of of, uh, the Abrahamic traditions, which is the great commandment of loving God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And a lot of Mm -hmm. people forget loving yourself is part of the equation, the vertical Uh and horizontal thing. And I also want to cite Bruce Feiler's work on transitions. And he's Mm -hmm. You know, he says people have five different careers. Like you don't right. have to think you're only a single career. Right. You know? Right. And I mean, there's just great psychological ways to look at, because I would look at some of my colleagues and think, well, how are they doing it? How are they okay? And first of all, they may not be, you don't know. Um, second of all, they they may be getting getting therapy and, and, and they may be medicated and they may have found ways to deal with this. And um, so I stopped beating myself up about why I was, you know, struggling with my mental health. And then 
kind of turned the framework around mm-hmm. as as you're suggesting. Like maybe maybe I'm too good for this now. Maybe I'm ready to move on. Maybe this isn't making me happy. And so I should do something that makes me happy. And yeah. maybe I don't need to be here as long as I predicted in my mind, you know, 20 years ago um, that I would be, that I would be. Um, all of those things are just great perspective shifts. And I would say and that maybe you, you have a better, need, better next chapter, not just that right. you're and, too and good for this, fulfilling. but that you may be yes. able to make a bigger contribution in a different context. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes, sometimes it takes a therapist, someone on the outside to offer those perspective shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm a pretty self-reflective person. Um, and none of these things occurred to me, mm-hmm. you know? And so they might sound simple, but I really did need to hear from someone to say, like, well, let's question your your orthodoxy about all of this. And um, you know, challenge it just a just a little. And it makes really well, a especially huge if so. it was a 20 year ago self that yeah. said, I'm gonna do this for X number of years. Totally. Maybe that's that person that you were 20 years ago. Maybe we should have set expectations, yeah. <laughs> Time to realign with where you are yes. now. I'm selfish. I want you to stay around in, in, in your influencer oh. <laughs> role because I think we need you. And I kind of feel the same way. Like, I'm old enough to retire. I don't need to work. But I feel like my work is so important for the planet yeah, for and sure. the future. And I want to just keep transmitting what I've learned yeah. and, and and get some younger people to pick it up so that I can not yeah. feel so pressured to keep doing this because it is, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's tough. And I'll come back to the beginning of our conversation with AR-15s. My former cult has a gun factory manufacturing AR-15s. And an, another one of my cult, they have a, a rodofiron.org, ministry.org, where they are teaching and have compounds training people how to kill people with assault mm. rifles um, oh, in the coming civil war. So I'm a little worried yeah. as a potential yes. target. Um, they mm. know who I am and what I've been doing, mm. and but I, it's not going to make me stop. It's too important. Well, it would be understandable if it did, <laughs> but I, you know, I get that too. And look, I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still here. Yes. Still doing it every day. Great. I still, you know, it's hard to get out of bed sometimes with this news, but I do. Yeah. And I come on and I have the hard conversations because I still believe that they're important and I still want to be useful yeah. if I can. But yes. uh, look, it's hard. We're And we're all, we're all dealing with stuff. So if you're a listener and you're thinking... My gosh, you know, I can't believe these two people are admitting. Well, everyone's going through it. Everybody is anxious and distressed and worried about the economy, worried about the pandemic, worried about future variants. I just got my second Mm -hmm. booster on Tuesday. Uh, Uh But I had COVID two months ago after Uh having the first booster last August. But, you know, it's like what's within my control and what's outside of my control. Exactly. And let me put exactly. 90% of my energy with things that I can do something about and periodically check things that are outside of my control and say, yeah. is there some creative new idea or new information that's come my way that could be applied? And 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 then I can do right. something about, you know, this other issue or this other problem. 
Um, right. But you're a good person and you care and you <laughs> want, you know, you want to help make reality um, sustainable and livable for others. And in particular, as a mother, you want children and your great-grandchildren to have a planet that's sustainable. Yeah. So this sure. all makes a lot of sense. So as as we're wrapping up, you know, I'm a fan of yours, <laughs> if you haven't you. noticed already. Well, it's mutual. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess I want to ask if there's any final thoughts that you want to come back to uh, in this uh, free-ranging conversation. Well, listen, life is hard and... Um, you know, these are hard things to talk about and you can only talk about them when you feel like you have some space and trust and a willing partner on the other side who can uh, disagree with you, but who is going to give you space to voice your opinion. Let's talk through it. And I, I love doing those. I just did a talk about guns with Van Jones, who comes from the left. And we, we do talks all the time because we trust each other. But those platforms are far and few between. They're not rewarded in cable news mm-hmm. um, at all, and you know where I live. Um, but mm-hmm. they're just diminishing. And so I'm just grateful that you provide this. And mm. I hope that you invite lots of different kinds of people on, you know, to have tough conversations because that's what we need to model it's also incredibly uplifting when you have these conversations with willing actors, maybe on the opposite side, because it reminds you of our shared humanity. Instead of fetishizing our differences and our division, it reminds you, oh my gosh, we agree on so much. Right. Or at the very least, we agree to, to be kind to each other right. as we have these tough conversations. So it's actually good for the soul to do these Yes. You know, to do these kinds of talk, and I'm not saying you and I are adversaries. I'm just saying, in general, to have tough conversations right. and safe space, spaces, and 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 occasionally even have them with people who might disagree. We've just got to do more and more of that. I think. Yeah, and and for me, when, when I was finally talked into doing a podcast after years of people saying you need a podcast, more people listen mm-hmm. to. I decided I wanted to do it called the Influence Continuum so that I could do shows that are on the ethical side of the continuum, that teach psychology, that teach, you know, uh, insightful things that will empower people. Because in the end, I do believe psychology can, is, is an incredible tool to help people develop and grow and be, um, better people and to create a better world. Uh, so knowledge is power. Um, Mm -hmm. and we each matter. And uh, to to look locally, you can think globally, but think about helping those people that you do have access to, that you do have the power to influence. And you never know, a seed that gets sown today, maybe, in somebody's mind might grow to the point where they get to a point where they go, you know what, I don't want to blindly follow a pundit, or I don't want to blindly follow a politician or my clergy leader, uh, yep. I need to be true to myself, even if it means stepping out and, and yep. starting in a different way. Yeah. So thank you so much for being thank you. Thank you. And uh, mm-hmm. let's be in touch. Absolutely, thank it's you. It's my pleasure, thanks. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. 
I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGotOut, and join our online community at IGotOut.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.